North Georgia. It's 8.30 in time once again for the Bible Broadcast with Evangelist Keith Allison. Well, let me say what a real blessing it is to be back on the radio again with another message out of the good Word of God. This is Keith Allison doing the work of an evangelist out of Demarest, Georgia. And I just want to say thank you for listening to the Bible Broadcast. And if you are a first-time listener, I want to say that I certainly appreciate having you to tune in to our program today. And if you will mark the station and the time in which you are listening to me on and come back next week, then you can join us again. This is a weekly uh, broadcast. We come on one time a week on the particular time and station that you are listening to right now. And so we are grateful for the opportunity to be on the air, and uh, we thank the Lord for it. God has blessed. We've uh, the Bible broadcast, we first went on the air in March of 1984, and God has kept us on the radio ever since. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on all the stations that we are currently on. And uh, the only way I can do that is through the financial help of our radio listeners. And I just want to say thank you to those of you that may help us financially to stay on the air and uh, I just want to say thank you so much because uh, you're a blessing. I do covet your prayers, and I know that everybody can't send in a love offering, but I want to say thank you for your prayers, and I covet your prayers because I need prayers uh, just as much as I need the financial support. And uh, so we do thank the Lord for you as you partner with us and labor with us uh, to get the Word of God out in these last days. And as you have heard me say many times, it is the last days. I believe we're living in the last days, and we certainly need to be up and about the Father's business doing all that we can for the glory of God. Uh, you Let me invite you to go to my website. It is KeithAllisonMinistries.com. That's KeithAllisonMinistries.com. And we'd love for you to go to the website, look at our itinerary, and pray for us. Look at the radio stations that we're on. And there is some on-demand listening for the archived broadcast. And then there's some internet listening that you can listen live at the right times. And, so, and then also you'll see the books that I have written and a link to where you can order those. And please tell someone else about the broadcast. And uh, let me say this, I appreciate those of you that have written to us, those of you that uh, have called, and I just thank you so much. I appreciate getting the phone call and then a card from a dear lady in the Asheville area listening to us from WKJV. And uh, we're praying for her situation and needs that she requested prayer for me, uh, with for me to pray with her. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you need me to help you pray about something, if you need uh, questions answered or whatever that I can do, I want you to know that I'm here for you. And uh, so we we covet your prayers, and I do want you to know that I I'm concerned about you. I care for you. And this is why we're on the radio, for the glory of God and for the good of God's people and that we might get the gospel to those that are unsaved. Amen. 
All right, I'm going to open the Bible today to the book of Acts, to the book of Acts, chapter number 5. And in this story, in Acts chapter 5, we see where that the apostles have been put in jail uh, in a prison over the night, or, or they've been imprisoned, and during the night, the angel of the Lord opens up the, the prison cell, and uh, they go out. And so the next day, uh, as they are confronted again uh, by the Pharisees and, and these religious leaders, the Bible says in verse number 34, Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee. Now, again, this council is questioning the apostles, deciding what they're going to do to them because they, they put them in jail and commanded them not to teach or to preach anymore in Jesus' name. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And let me say that, that's still true today. Uh, friend, I believe that a lot of folk are, are compromising. They're abandoning the way of God and the will of God because of being intimidated by our society and by what's right or what the society says is right and wrong. Well, I just want to tell you, friend, that uh, the Word of God is our guide, it is our rule, and uh, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's what the Bible says. But in this council, a man stood up by the name of Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. You see, apparently they wanted to stone them or kill them, and Gamaliel is discouraging them from that. He said, For before these days rose up a Theodos, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. So he's reminded them of a past situation to where all of these people that rose up with the Theodos, uh, 400 of them, they were slain and then scattered abroad. In other words, that little movement come to an end. And then he says, after this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So Gamaliel gives two different uh, historical examples of men who had followers following them, and uh, the, they were either slain or dispersed, and the effect was that the little gathering and the little religious movement come to naught. In other words, it just failed. So he says in verse 38, And now I say unto you, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. So what Gamaliel was saying was he gave them two different examples of men who had followers, and in both cases they come to naught. Now, he's using that in a what would be called a, or considered a very logical conclusion. He is using that, and he is talking about the apostles 
and this religious movement that to Gamaliel and others that they seem to be proposing. He said, if this uh, counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. He was just simply saying that if this is simply of man's doing, then it will not last. He said, but if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be or haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame, look at that now, to suffer shame for his name. Now when you and I, uh, because of our identification with Christ, when we suffer shame or when we are reproached or rebuked or if we are somehow another slandered, man, it just really upsets us. But these men, they counted it, uh, they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And so, you see, I'm afraid that we look at what it may cost us to be a Christian, we look at it the wrong way. Uh, we ought to be rejoicing that uh, that uh, we are such a Christian that we are identified with the Savior and take it, amen, as God would let it come into our lives. Now, I want to speak to you today on why the church will prevail. Now, last time on the broadcast, I dealt with the fingerprints of a New Testament church out of the book of Acts, especially in chapter number two, the fingerprints of a New Testament church. Today, I want to speak to you on why the church will prevail. And I want to use this text that Gamaliel gave in Acts chapter number five, as Luke records it. He said, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. And I think uh, whether Gamaliel understood it or not, he was telling the truth. If, it's, if God's in it, uh, you're not going to uh, do away with it, amen. It's going to last. So I want to preach today on why the church will prevail. Now, doing the work of an evangelist, I'm in a lot of different churches. I travel a lot in, in several states, and I'm in different churches of different sizes, in different type meetings, whether it is special Sundays or revivals or jubilees or camp meetings or doing prophecy conferences or either conferences on the home or whatever subject the pastor may asked me to deal with in, in a Bible conference setting. But let me say this, that in all the different churches and, and, and many places I go, I want to say that it is, it is uh, kindly sad because it seems like a lot of churches, especially the smaller country churches, they really, a lot of them are not growing. A lot of them do not have a lot of young people in them. And sometimes you wonder another 10, 15 years if that local church will be able to keep its doors open or not. Now, I want to say that 
that my message is not primarily concerned today with the with one particular local church. I want to say this very carefully and, and respectfully. It may be that some local churches ends up closing their doors because of the lack of participation. If a local church shuts its doors, that does not mean that the church has failed. I'm talking about the church in general, and it does not mean that God has not been faithful to the church. That would just that would be like uh, if whatever happens to one individual believer, that does not set the standard, nor does it dictate what God is doing with all the other believers. So due to a particular situation in a particular area, churches may dwindle down and they might have to shut the door as far as man is concerned on that particular fellowship. I was talking to a pastor up in North Carolina, asked him how things were going, and he said, I'm pastoring a dying church. And what he meant was that he was in a very remote, rural, mountainous area, and that uh, the young people in the area, when they grow up, when they grew up, they got married and they left town. They they moved out, and so the church was basically is basically left with with old older people. And as every year goes by, he's burying more and more of those older people. And without industry and without an economic boom in that community, nobody's moving in. And so if time goes on and if something doesn't happen, and it may depend on how small you, you want the church to, to get, I mean, they may get down to two or three, and Jesus did promise it. He would meet with two or three. Amen? But it is possible that churches in that situation may find themselves in a dilemma. But that does not that does not speak uh, to the to the church at large, because I've preached uh, uh, I preached in a church. They they had a great Hispanic ministry, and through the Hispanic ministry and and their regular. Uh, services they were running about 400 450 on Sunday morning uh, bringing folk to church very excited about what God's doing and and you see that I see churches that are in in good areas where there's a where there's population where there's people where there's people moving in and you see churches growing but I want to say I want to put it like this when the Lord Jesus comes, for his church, amen, at the rapture, he will find a church to come for, amen? The church will prevail. And there's three reasons I want to give you today on why the church will prevail. Number one, because of the name of its founder. Because of the name of its founder. You say, preacher, uh, what, what are you talking about? Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 16, he told Peter, he said, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, watch now, Jesus said, I will build my church. You see, friend, who's building the church? 
Now, I, I pastored for 36 years before going into evangelism. And I, I know what it is to be a pastor. I know what it is to knock on doors and to invite people and to baptize folk and to see the church grow. I know what that is. But I also realize and know that it is not me nor you that does it. God is building his church. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He didn't say I'm going to try to build a church. He said, I'm going to take a stab at it. He didn't say if everything works all right, but he said confidently, and he said prophetically, and he said with assurance, I will build my church. And so Jesus is the founder of the church. So the church will prevail because of the name of its founder. He, it, the church has a divine builder, Jesus Christ the son of the living God. Can I say, friend, that we can go to some of the isms and the cults that are in our day today, and we can look up in our encyclopedia of religions, and we can find the, the founder of that movement, uh, whether it is a Joseph Smith or a Mary Baker <coughs> or a... Or a uh, or, or, or a Muhammad, or, or whoever he may be, friend, or a moon, whatever the man's name may be, we can uh, find those people. And, but we find that they, they were men that failed and they had sin in their lives and they got a marred record in their life and they died and they were buried and amen, their bones are still in the ground today. But you see, the name of the founder of the church his name is Jesus, and he stands alone when it comes to him, amen. Uh, he stands alone in his birth. He was virgin born. He did not have an earthly father. He was born to the Virgin Mary, amen. And uh, that's what Christmas is all about, celebrating the birth of our wonderful Savior. We know that he lived about 33 and a half years and the Bible teaches me that he lived a sinless life. Can you comprehend that? He never knew no sin. He never thought anything that was wrong. He never said anything that was wrong. He never omitted to do that that he was supposed to do. Everything that Jesus did was right. He fulfilled the law of God in his life, and he fulfilled the law of God in his death. He lived a sinless life. He stands alone in that. He died a vicarious death. He died the just for the unjust, the holy for the unholy, the right for the wrong. He died, friend, as the Son of God, that we, the sons of men, might become the sons of God. He died that we might have the imputed righteousness of God imputed unto us. Amen. And then he had a glorious resurrection. He stands alone in that. Uh, he said that he had the power to lay his life down and he had the power to take it again. Amen. And on that third day, friend, I believe he was in the tomb three days and three nights. I believe he was crucified more than likely on Wednesday and he arose, a friend, any time after the sun set on what we would call Saturday night, 
somewhere uh, from the setting of the sun, which marked the beginning of the first day up until daylight, somewhere in that night season, a friend Jesus arose from the dead. Amen. And 40 days later, according to Acts chapter 1, he ascended back to heaven, sat down at the Father's right home, a right hand, and the Father made him to be the head of the church, amen. And in that exalted position at the Father's right hand, he serves as the head of the church, and every time that somebody gets saved, they are placed into the body of Christ, and he is building his church. It will prevail because of the name of its founder, amen. Jesus Christ. Number two, let me say this. The church will prevail because of the nature of its beginning. Because of the nature of its beginning. Can I say this? It not only had a divine builder, but it had a divine beginning. Amen. The church, because of the nature of its beginning, the church had a divine beginning. Now, if you go into the book of Acts, and I mentioned this a little bit last week on the broadcast, uh, Jesus said this in Acts chapter number 1 and verse 4 and 5, and, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait, what were they wait for? But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, look now, not many days hence. So we find then that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is an essential work of Christ in building his church. And Jesus said that you'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he told them to tarry at Jerusalem until the Spirit came. And then you look in Acts chapter number 2 and verses 1 through 4, and the Holy Ghost came to them as they were gathered in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible said, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And so this was the outpouring of the Spirit like Jesus had promised a few days earlier there before he ascended back to heaven. But now when you go over to Acts chapter number 11, after, <clears throat> after the conversion of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, after the conversion, after the gospel was taken by Peter to the Gentiles, you'll find then a friend that they, uh, that they came up to Jerusalem, and there they were talking about of the Gentiles receiving the Holy Ghost or receiving the salvation. And this is what Peter said about that event in Acts chapter number 10. You see, on the day of Pentecost, it was all Jews that were saved when the church was born. But in Acts 10, God sent Peter to Cornelius' house, and, and Peter used the keys of the kingdom not only to the Jews in Acts 2, but to the Gentiles in Acts 10. And now he's talking about it in Acts 11, and he said, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, that is the Gentiles, as on us at the beginning. At the beginning of what? He's talking about Acts 2. 
at the beginning is a reference to the beginning of the church. He said in verse 16, Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, and this is what Jesus told him in Acts 1 and verse number 5 before his ascension. He said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then, this is Peter's conclusion now, for as much then as God gave them, that is the Gentiles, the like gift as he did unto us, that is the Jews who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? And you see, there were tongues used on the day of Pentecost and tongues used at Cornelius' house. And the Bible said that tongues were for a sign. And so what happened on the day of, of uh, in other words, the Jews were convinced that God did what he did because it was, was the apostles there in Acts 2. Well, in order for God to get the Jews to accept the fact that God was going to save Gentiles and bring them into the New Testament church, then he was going to have to do something to the Gentiles that the Jews would accept. And so when Peter, who was an apostle, and others went with him, uh, other Jews went with him, he was not only preaching at Cornelius' house, but he and those other Jews were witnesses to the sign gift of tongues that God gave to the Gentiles, and that verified to Peter and those that were with him that what happened at Cornelius' house was the same thing that happened to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, that God truly had visited the Gentiles to take out a people for his name. That's what that was all about. So the nature of its beginning, the church had a divine beginning. The Holy Ghost was sent by the Father and the Son upon the enthronement uh, or the seating of the Lord Jesus, according to John 16, 7. The baptism of the Holy Ghost took place on the day of Pentecost. I believe that's when the church was born. Amen. The church, according to the book of Ephesians, now listen, I'm talking about uh, the, uh, the because of the nature of its beginning. In, in Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 20, the Bible likens the church as unto a building and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. How was, what's the foundation? The apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it did not start until the New Testament, did not start until the day of Pentecost. It had a divine beginning. The church is seen as a building in which Christ uh, uh, the apostles uh, is, the, is the foundation and Christ is the chief cornerstone as, as a building. Then in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20 through 23, uh, the church is seen as a body. You'll find this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church is seen as a body in which Christ is the head. And then in Ephesians 5, 30 through 33, the church is seen as a bride in which Christ is the groom. So in the book of Ephesians, the church is pictured as a building, as a body, and as a bride. And as a building, it is the habitation of the life of God. As a body, it is an expression of his life. In other words, your soul and spirit 
lives within your natural body. Your soul and spirit expresses itself through your natural body. So the building is a habitation. God inhabits the church. He dwells in the church, in us individually and in the body corporately. And he, through the church, expresses himself. Amen. And we are, an exp we are to live out the gospel. We are to manifest Christ in our lives. And then as a bride, we see the intimacy of his life. So the habitation of his life, the expression of his life, the enemy's intimacy of his life. And then thirdly, and I'm done, a friend, the church will prevail because of the new life given to its members. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And according to 2 Peter 1.4, if you're saved, you have become partakers of the divine nature of God. The nature determines appetite. The nature determines behavior. The nature determines environment. And the nature determines association. And because of the change of us and given us a new nature, then we will live godly in Christ Jesus and we will live out the gospel and the church will propagate itself uh, through the ministry of reconciliation according to the book of, of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. So the church will prevail because of the name of its founder, because of the nature of its beginning, because of the new life given to its member. Amen. Well, I hope that the message has been a blessing to you. Why the church will prevail? This is Keith Allison doing the work of an evangelist. You can email, you can email me at keithallisonministries at gmail.com. Go to my website, keithallisonministries.com, and then you can call us, area code 706-968-1182. Write to us. Uh, the Bible Broadcast, P.O. Box 312, Cornelia, Georgia, 30531. Until next time, keep looking up. Jesus is coming soon. 97.5 Glory FM is WGTJ, Murrayville, Gainesville, and W248DL, Murrayville, Gainesville.